I'm Jeanette Davis. I'm the coordinator for the Backpack Buddies at Hilton Head Island Community Church. Approximately 50% of the children on the island in our public schools are on the reduced or free lunch program. Although the schools provide meals for the children during the week, many of these children go home over the weekend and do not have food. The Backpack Buddies program provides food for these children over the weekends. It's so easy to be a part of this. We just meet once a month to prep the food, pack the food in the bins, and deliver the bins to the schools. If you'd like to be a part of this ministry, check out our website or email us and we'll let you know when our next packing date is. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, so come on out and be a part of this ministry and feed our island children. Well, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. I hope you're doing well today. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd and uh, I'm the pastor here. Really glad that you've uh, chosen to be with us and worship with us this morning. And this is my friend and uh, one of our members, Nina Greenplate. Why don't you give her a warm welcome this morning and a shout out or two if you'd like. That's fine too. Uh, well, uh, we are kind of centering last week, this week, and the next week around a little bit of a theme, and that theme is food. And I've asked Nina uh, to be here uh, because she serves in one of the ministry partners, one of the community partners that we have, uh, Sandalwood Community Food Pantry. And uh, she and her husband, Brian, who's here today, I don't, uh, right there, there he is, awesome, and Evan, her son, and she's got another son at Clemson, uh, Brandon, and uh, they moved here part-time last year, and then a little bit more full-time here over the, really the last year, um, like many of you have and are, maybe are doing. Um, but one of the things that I loved about what you and Brian did is you guys got, you dove in. Um, you got involved in the life of the church. And particularly in your case, not just being a part of a group, but also part of serving. And, and you chose to serve with Sandalwood. What, what was it about Sandalwood that like, made you dive right in and be a part of that, Nina, if you would? Well, we realized we were going to be spending more time here. And I was fortunate enough to know that I'd have some free time. And actually Googled um, food pantry and uh, got some advice from... Uh, Wendy Sanders about this uh, project called Sandalwood Community Food Pantry and I made a phone call and I spoke to who was, I didn't at the time know, the uh, executive director Nanette Pearson and immediately from that phone call she's amazing. She's there was amazing. so much love yep. in her voice and a few months later when I showed up she remembered the phone call and uh, I felt at home right away. That's fantastic. And what is it about Sandwood? I mean, we have uh, about 15 local partners uh, as a church, and there are many others. What's distinctive about Sandalwood? Why, why you know, mm -hmm. what, what makes Sandalwood different than some of the other, uh, you know, community um, organizations that we see around Hilton Head? Well, I think the fact that Nanette was so welcoming when I got there, and I was a little nervous, and uh, I, what I viewed was a volunteer-based, faith-based family and sandalwood is love and although it's non-denominational christ is there yeah, and absolutely. it's a fantastic place we serve probably 500 people a month mm. that actually walk in the door but they are serving what it comes to is about a thousand families and it's made up of homeless um, the working poor 
um, disabled, a lot of grandparents raising their grandchildren, yeah. and people that just perhaps lost a job. I met someone last week who was just there because times were a little tough and he's looking for a job. So they, it's located on Beach City Road, which is in the Mitchellville community. If you're all familiar with that, I had no idea coming to this island, you know, somewhat of what you would think of as a resort community, how many people there are that, that live here that are in these situations. Yeah. They bike there, they walk there, they get rides there, yeah. and the need is, is very real. Um, so the fact that Nanette, who is the executive director, is a reverend herself, mm -hmm. and we pray before yeah. we open our doors, yeah. uh, Tuesdays and Fridays, it's, it's a community of love, and it's in no way a scary place. We know first names, we know situations, and we love the fact that our church, in particular with Christmas, and now the donations are very much needed. Our shelves are low. And today, many of you brought bags in for sandalwood. On second Sunday, we serve, and that goes to help refill their shelves and, and right. help uh, really help feed the people um, who need it the most in our island. And, and like you, when Cynthia and I moved here 10 years ago, we had no idea that once you got off the beaten paths and mm -hmm. past the gated communities that there are, there are needs. Um, and, right. and in some cases inside those, those communities as well. But, exactly. Uh, um, it, it really is uh, very true. Uh, meeting the most basic need is really what Sandalwood does. Right, and it's not just it's not just food. Right. We'll take donations of uh, clothing and toiletries, yeah. and the fact that Nanette found the facility. We are we're out of Queen Queen Chapel, yep. Queen Queen's Chapel, Chapel. Yep. and it's in the Mitchellville community where yeah. um, many of those that are in need live and that they can get there pretty quickly. So we're, they're one of our partners and we as a church, every time you give a dollar, a little bit of that goes to Sandalwood. Uh, we sponsor them on a, uh, pay them on a quarterly basis or do donate to them on a quarterly basis. But um, I really see the impact as much more than, than just the impact that uh, a, a dollar makes. Um, what, how do you see Hilton Head Island Community Church impacting Sandalwood? What we do now is great, so thank you so much. The other way you can contribute is going to the website, which is sandalwoodfoodbank.com, and there are ways on there that you'll see. Um, so you can donate through that website. You can give donations, you know, for me here on Sundays. You can pray. Uh, you can pop in, and I guarantee you if you come in, you'll be encouraged. And I've had friends that have helped out um, just on special days where we, we had a serial drive and we needed help transporting. If you come in, you'll be encouraged. Yeah. The other thing that we're doing in March, it's the third annual Run for Hunger, and the run will benefit the food pantry. In particular, I think Nanette wants to keep bringing in money so that we get our own facility, and That's the right. run will help. And you don't have to run, yeah. you can walk. You can, it can be the walk <laughs> for Drag yourself, for, whatever you wanna do. Us. That's fine, yeah. <laughs> That's on the website too, and Nanette worked out the walk run in the Mitchellville area so that people can see the area and it's it's lovely it's it, a it really great is. way I, I did it yeah. a few years ago it's a fantastic way to 
see um, maybe a different part of Hilton Head than, than some of us would normally see. And I think that's really important that we do that. And so I love that. What would you say to the person, just finally, um, um, Nina, what would you say to the person that says, you know, I just don't know that I could do that. I don't have the time or I can't for, for whatever reason. What would you say to them about getting involved with something like Sandalwood or Sandalwood specifically? Anything is helpful. You'd be very surprised how a small bag of food can make a big difference when somebody comes in and says, wow, you know, I, I need that to make this. Uh, bags, it's funny, in my family, I don't throw out plastic bags anymore like, or put them in recycle. I bring them in because so many people walk in the door and they don't have a bag. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we just think, wow, I've got a whole pile of them in the laundry room. Yeah. Um, we'll take them. So anything small, yeah. anything at all. Um, food, like I said, uh, gently used clothing, uh, prayer. That's fantastic. Nina, thanks so much for what Thank you do in serving Sandalwood Community Food Pantry and, and doing it as a part of one of us Love here it. at Hilton Head Island Community Church. So thank you. Why don't you thank her this morning? Thank you so much. Last week, uh, you heard from Brandon Smith, who's the uh, founder and executive director of No Hungry Children. And so uh, if you see this theme of feeding those who are in need, developing, uh, that's exactly what um, I, I want us to see uh, here over these, these few weeks. And next week, we're going to be gathering together to uh, partake in communion, receive communion together as a family. And it will be focused on um, how we, our souls are fed. Uh, and so we talked about what it means to feed the world. Uh, today, uh, you heard from uh, two people. You heard from Jeanette and Nina about how we as a church can feed our community, to feed our island community. And today what I wanted to do is, is uh, really talk about some of those things that we may take a little bit for granted uh, as people. Uh, the, the fact is, is that, as you heard, a plastic bag um, is something that a, there's someone that can use that in their lives to make a difference. I, I can't believe that. A, a, a canned good that costs probably under a dollar in some cases. Um, and last week you heard um, that uh, so much can go so far to feed children who are in Nairobi in the slums there in Kenya. And I wonder as a church on our kind of, you know, 10-year uh, anniversary as we celebrated back in October, 10 years of doing ministry in this community, I, my, my greatest fear and my concern is, is that we as a church, as we enter our second decade, would just kind of kick back and kind of get comfortable with, you know, business as usual, doing church being an organization that does you know, so well in many ways what we do, um, but that we would kick back and that we would lose sight and lose an awareness of the needs around us. And, and I believe what's going to propel us on to do the great things that I believe that God wants us to do to become the church that um, we need to become, that I believe that he's calling us to become, I, I believe it begins with a passion for people and a compassionate heart. But it doesn't stop there at some point in time. That compassion has to become action. You know, we have a mission statement. Our mission statement is to passionately share the message of Jesus and lead people to follow him. And that's a great sounding mission statement. It looks good on a card or, you know, out on a website and that sort of thing. Um, but it really is a statement. And a statement is a good thing, right? 
A statement is a very good thing. It helps bring us to the center. It helps focus us. It helps us to know what our, what our goal is, to know what the mission is. But a, but a statement is just that. It's a statement. It's a little bit like a movement. You probably realize you can find a movement for anything in this day and age, right? You can find a movement for anything, and most of those movements are, are, are driven or born out of a passion to help people. But at some point in time, even a movement or a mission statement is just that. It's just a statement. At some point in time, it has to become an action. And I believe what we find in John chapter 5, in Jesus' example, is what is going to be the thing that I believe propels us as a church, into the next decade and the decade after that of being an organization that stays on mission through the years, that stays focused on the real needs of the real people around us. Let's take a look at John chapter 5 today as we focus on one of the most, um, man, important times in Jesus' life. Because the story we're going to read today, I don't want you to miss this, was, a, was kind of a tipping point or a turning point in Jesus' life and his ministry. Because what we're going to watch him do, in doing it, he violated so much of the religious part of what the religious leaders were watching out for in his life. And then afterwards, after he does it, he ends up claiming to be the son of God, the very son of God, which would have been a a statement to the religious leaders of the day that would have been heresy, it would have been heretical. And so this is a tipping point because it's at this point in Jesus' life and ministry that a divide begins to really happen between Jesus who's a rabbi in their minds and the religious leaders of the day. In fact, it was at this point that they decided that they were going to do everything they can to eliminate Jesus. And so this is a tipping point. The situation that we're going to take a look at is something that we can't lose the importance of what happened after what we're going to see today. And within what we're going to see, I hope and I pray that we learn to go from a place of passion and compassion to action for the people we live around. John 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of individuals, blind lame, and paralyzed. I want to stop there for a moment. Uh, in Jerusalem, there were several different pools. And, and in that day and age, we, we would, uh, if we looked at them today, uh, some of them are still there, or at least the uh, stones that surround them are still there. And, and if we looked at them today, it would look like you know, maybe um, a, a pond or something like that, or what we not, you know, call around here in the South Carolina low country, a lagoon. All right, it's a pond. I don't care if you call it a lagoon. It's still a pond. But anyway, so that's what it would look like, but it would have had something surrounding it. And these pools, in many cases, were part of the, the culture of the day. And that it had to do with um, you know, Jewish rituals of cleansing. And there were 
parts of them that had to do with healing, some of them that had to do with healing. And this one in particular, this one here um, that uh, Jesus uh, is at and he, he goes down to that we're going to see, was, was one that had so much in the community to do with healing. There was a lot of mysticism in this day. There, was a lot of, there were a lot of people who believed that healing would occur because of certain things that were uh, not written in Scripture, but that were legend. And, and this pool that we're going to see, Bethesda, was one of those things that was something of great legend in terms of being healed. And there was, in this spring, water that would bubble out and it would come up and bubble at different times during the day. And uh, many of the people uh, of that day believed in the legend that angels stirred up the water and the first person to touch the water to get in that pool would be healed. And it only happened once a day and it usually only happened to one person a day. And so you can imagine that, um, you know, in this pool with these bubbles coming out of the bottom of it, that um, there would be people that would be gathered around seeking a solution for their problem. The most modern, up-to-date version or solution to their problem. And they would go into the pool and they would hope to be healed. And that's the context that we're looking at. They didn't, most of them weren't there to be healed by Jesus or, or, or God or anyone else. They just, they wanted to be healed because they had heard that this would heal them. It's a little bit like the, the fountain of youth. Or, or if you've ever been to a spring, if you've ever seen a spring coming out from the water. My dad used to take me when we lived in Florida when I was a younger uh, kid. He used to take us to Crystal River. And we used to go snorkeling and it's just a beautiful place and um, we would swim over the springs and there would be bubbles that would come up and cool water would be pouring up from the earth and that's actually what fed this spring that John talks about here. And so we see in verse 3, in these lay a multitude of individuals, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Verse 4, may or may not it be in your Bible. It's a verse that um, in, in more recent years I've uh, seemed to think may not, was in the, may not have been in the original manuscripts. So verse 5 says, one man was there who had been uh, an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, He said to him, do you, sir, want to be healed? I want to read that again to you because that's the most important verse I believe in this passage. When Jesus, say that next word with me, saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now just capture this. This man is, is, is an invalid. He, he probably can't walk. Uh, Cynthia and I, when we were in Africa, um, we, they took us to Nador one day, which is um, in Morocco, and, and we went down into the Sook where there are just, uh, just a ton of people living, and across the street we saw people lined up that were waiting um, to, to go into a hospital, and it was a sight that was really very, very difficult to even see. And I would imagine that maybe the... the most difficult sight that you've seen in your life, um, that what was going on there at Bethesda, probably your, what you saw and what I've seen, probably paled in comparison. I get the picture that there are just people everywhere who need to be healed. 
And they probably have friends and family, people that have helped bring them there and that would help them down into the pool and help them back up with the hope, with the chance, with the off chance that they might be healed. And when Jesus sees the one man among the crowd, he says, do you want to be healed? I want you to think about that question for a minute. Someone that for 38 years has been sick, and Jesus says, do you want to be healed? I would imagine there's probably more than one person that was probably like, hey, Jesus, of course he wants to be healed. Like, I think that uh, you probably just failed the chaplaincy program at the hospital if you ask that question to someone who's been waiting for 38 years to get down in the pool. But Jesus' question isn't ridiculous at all. It's a question I think that he probably is asking us, maybe the Holy Spirit may be asking us sometimes in our spirit, do you really want my help? And I want to pause for a moment and just point out that uh, Jesus didn't come to save us because of all those things that we're good at and all the victories that we've had in our lives and all the good aspects about who we are. Man, he came to save us because of our sicknesses. That's why he came to save us. And he wants to know, do you really want to be healed? And I think sometimes our answer to him is, is, no, sir, I've got this. I know I've been in that boat a lot. I love that aspect of verse 6. And so verse 7, the sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. He's essentially saying that I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And every time I get up to the front of the line, what happens? Someone comes in in front of me. The Cullen family went to, uh, a few days after Christmas, we went to Disney World. And what do you do at Disney World? You wait in line. And every once in a while, someone will cut in line. They'll come and jump in in front of you at Disney World. Um, One comedian says that Disney World is like paying a lot of money to go to the DMV. (laughs) The happiest place on earth. We had a great time, though. We really did. I really mean that, sincerely. We really did have a good time. Uh, The kids had a blast. So anyway, um, (laughs) I'm just kidding, Cynthia. I'm just kidding. We had fun. We really did. We had a good time. We had a blast. It sounds like I'm talking to myself in it, but I'm being sincere. All right. He essentially says to Jesus, every time I get close, every time I get near the pool, someone comes in and steps in front of me. And anyway, I don't have anyone to help me get in and out. This man had no one, and he had been waiting for 38 years. Perhaps most of his life, but perhaps he's also a lot older. And perhaps he'd been waiting for just a part of his life. But he didn't have any energy beyond the fact that he was invalid to get down into the pool himself. And Jesus in verse 8 says this. He looks at him and he says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Once again, not the words that you would expect from a chaplain in a hospital or in a place that people are sick. It was direct, it was blunt, 
is a little bit in his face. Get up. Take your bed up. And walk. In verse 9, we see this. And at once, the man was healed. And he took up his bed and he walked. And this is where Jesus got in trouble with the religious leaders of the day. It says, now this day was the Sabbath. And John included that one little phrase, that one little sentence on purpose, because that was the turning point in everything. Because Jesus had served someone on a day that the religious leaders of the day said that you couldn't even lift anything. You see, they had taken the spirit of what God had established years before, and they had added dozens and dozens and dozens of rules to that one little rule. And they had missed the spirit of it. And in serving a man who was sick, Jesus violated the man-made laws of the religious people. And I don't know about you, but I love the fact that he did that. Not just because in that moment he was a renegade, but because in that moment, all of a sudden, people took precedent over policy and rules. People were more important to Jesus, and a relationship was more important to Jesus than anything that some kind of religious system would communicate. So much so that it eventually sent him to the cross. Verse 10 says, So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. So they're not going to go after Jesus. They're going to go after this man who was healed. Can you imagine? Can you imagine saying that? I mean, there's like, a, there's like an attitude of being a little irritated when someone else has a win, like internally. Well, I've experienced that a lot lately because of my sports teams, and I just needed to get that out right here. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about it. But can you imagine verbalizing that? To someone who had been an invalid all of their lives? <laughs> it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, <laughs> the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. I love that. There's faith in there. There's a trust in there. There's an innocence in that statement, an innocence in his response of man. That guy right there, he just said to walk. And I did it. And look at me. Look at what changed. They said to him, who is the man who said, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who has been healed, now the man who had been healed did not know if it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. Know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you're well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Oh man, there's so much just packed in that, in that passage. Oh, there's so much in there. I love it. I love Jesus. I love it that he's the son of God and that he's not come to rule the world with, with rules and religiosity. He's not come to, to make us feel bad about our sin or our hang-ups, or our failures, but he's come to help heal us. I love that aspect. I love the aspect that this is the beginning of Jesus going to the cross. This is kind of the turning point. I love it because of the trust of this man, this one, 
that faith that you see in this passage, in this story. I think I love it the most because I think it communicates the principle that I want you to hear today that I think is going to help us stay on mission for a very long time, and that is, is that if we lose as a church our awareness of the needs around us, we're going to fail in our mission. If we, if we lose our, our ability to see the hurt that people have in our schools, students, and in our neighborhoods, and in the workplace, and with the people we come in contact with all over this island, and perhaps even in your home, if we fail to see that, I don't believe we're ever going to be able to accomplish the great thing that God has for us of passionately sharing his message and leading people to follow him. You see, I think it's essential that we move from this place of of a passion for people or compassion in people and not just make a statement about it. That's part of it, but that's not the only thing. We have to actually take that and make it an actionable item. Do something with it. This past October, we um, threw a party for our community. I think people thought it was in response to Hurricane Irma um, (laughs) because you all ask, hey, you know, many people ask, hey, can we get the hurricane shirts? And they were the four HHI shirts. And um, we had planned that long before Irma. We didn't get together with God and we're like, hey, let's do this marketing thing that involves a hurricane. All right, that did not happen. (laughs) We threw a party for for Hilton Head because um, it was a way for us to celebrate that we want as a church to be on mission and to be for our community. But church, that's just a statement. It's the beginning perhaps, of a movement. But a movement is just that. It's just a statement. It really takes on value and importance, and it's executed when we take action. And I believe that we take action when we have an awareness of what's going on around us. Isn't that one of the most difficult Things to teach to, like a a child, is awareness. Being aware of yourself and and everyone around you. Sean, my my 10-year-old, plays soccer, and um, I'm I'm really really trying hard to not lecture him as much on soccer um, because he's getting to that age where he's tuned me out. Actually, I'm probably way past that age. But anyway, so... But I remember sitting down with him once, and, and I said, man, you're a good player. you got good ball skill. You're fast and everything. But, like, I just want you to be aware of where you are on the field. Look where the opponents are. Look where your teammates are. And, and man, then you can execute. I'm not thinking about that. I'm like, you know, that's really true for me in terms of serving the people around me. I, I think sometimes that we, we go through life with a little bit of blinders on just walking through life, hoping that our needs will get met and that, like, our situation will get fixed and that, you know, we're okay and that our families are okay. Those are, none of those things are bad at all. But if we really want to accomplish that mission that God, I think, has given us, that he gave us years ago, church, it's time for us to take the blinders off and to see the people around us, to have an awareness of where those needs are. Jesus certainly did that. 
And if he needs to see that and then take action, then we so much more than him need to. Pope Francis and I would not agree on many major theological items, but I do love what he's doing in terms of serving our world. And he said this some time ago in a statement that he made. He said this, I prefer a church which is bruised, hurting, and dirty because it has been out on the streets rather than a church which is unhealthy from being confined and from clinging to its own security. More than by fear of going astray, my hope is that we will be moved by the fear of remaining shut up within structures which gives us a false sense of security within rules, which makes us harsh judges within habits, which makes us feel safe, while at the door people are starving and Jesus does not tire of saying to us, give them something to eat. That's it right there. That's it right there. My question to you, church, is who in your life is saying, I'm hungry. And it may not be just about food. It probably won't be just about food. You see, the gift that we have to offer to our community and to the people we're around, that's physical food by serving in a place like Nina serves in Sandalwood and Deep Well. And oh, by the way, there's other ways that we can serve. Some of you are hosting people or you're uh, involved in Family Promise, which helps house people, which helps give people a home uh, during a difficult time. We've got... Many of you go to the jails through our bridge builders. There are countless ways to serve, and that's part of the reason we partner is because we, we can't be good at all of those things. In fact, there are many people that are much better, so why not partner with them? But you know what we have to offer? You know what you have to offer? Spiritual food. Because at some point in time, you were hungry spiritually. If you're here and you're a Christ follower today, and Jesus reached down just like that man at Bethesda, and he decided to help you. He decided to help me, I know that. And part of our mission is, as a church is to see and be aware of the needs around us. It's the beginning, it's what will sustain us, it's what will keep us in the game. And I hope and I pray that we're a church that takes the blinders off and is aware of the needs around us. Father, help us to do that. May your Holy Spirit lead us and guide us. God, you reach down to me, and you reach down to many who are in this room, and you fed us. You gave us the bread of life. You gave us the living water. You were the one that came and gave up yourself on a cross and you rose again three days later so that if we put our faith and our trust in you, that we too could have eternal life. And God, in that way, you fed us with not the most basic need that we have, but the absolute, by a long shot, the most important need that we have. Because without that, eternity looks dark. <laughs> Eternity is terrible. And God, you reached down and you gave us eternal life. And we're so grateful. But God, help that. I pray that you would help us to allow that.
to stir up in us a passion and a compassion for people and God, an ability to stay true individually and corporately to our mission. But God, I pray that you would allow us to turn all of that into action and actually do something. And God, I pray right now that you would prompt us, that your Holy Spirit would prompt us, each one of us individually, on what it is that you want us to do. Whether it's a neighbor or a coworker or a friend, or maybe it's serving with our group or serving individually at one of our partners with one of our partners. Or perhaps it's within our family. Someone is hurting, someone's in need, and you're asking us to go serve. God, I pray that we would have the courage to put action to our compassion. God, help us to do what you did, to see people, to have an awareness, to always be looking out for how we can be a part of helping and then actually do it. God, we thank you so much for the hope that you gave us. We thank you so much for the salvation that we have in your son. And God, we thank you so much that you chose to reach to us. And God, we just praise you and we, we worship you for that right now. In your name we pray, amen.